Amen. Bless you, Monica. Thank you, and Josh and the band. Amen. Amen. There was some preaching going on up there. Some preaching going on. It was good. It was good. It was good. You should be seated for just a second because I'm going to ask you to stand back up in a minute. If you've seen a miracle, if you have seen, and maybe you are the miracle, what's happened to you, I, 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 want, I, I want some eyewitnesses to stand back up and say, I, I've seen a miracle. Stand back up. If that's you, that's you, that's you, that's you, that's you. Now, there, there's, there's some of you at home, and there's some of you at home, and you, you just need to stand up in your bedroom, in your living room, and just give thanks unto the Lord. Lord, we bless you that you are a wonder-working God. Amen. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you, if you're standing up in here, would you just turn around somebody close to you, take them by the hand, and say, he's been good to me, would you? Find somebody and say that and then sit back down. He's been good to me. He's been good to me. Amen. Amen. 245 years ago today, the document that established the birth of our nation was signed the Declaration of Independence. It was signed by a group of men, most of whom had a common view of who they believed the God of all the nations truly was, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Probably the largest number of them would be able to make the declaration, I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. There were a few, like Benjamin Franklin, who were in the category of the deists, who wouldn't necessarily go a long way down the road of, of um, saying that um, all things in the Bible are absolute truth. And, but he, he did believe, and others of his persuasion did believe, that there was a God who created everything that is and that he was involved in the creation. He just wound it up like a master clockmaker, set the laws of nature in motion. He was responsible for that, and then he backed away and is just at a distance watching things. That was the deist. That was a Benjamin Franklin. But Benjamin Franklin, this is a side note. You didn't ask for this, but I'll give it to you anyway. It's free. Benjamin Franklin was fascinated by the young preacher, George Whitfield. He would go and hear Whitfield preach. He would come over from the England, England to the colonies. He estimated that George Whitfield on one occasion could be heard over water at a distance of two and a half miles. Now that's without microphones. That's no electricity. I'm telling you, George Whitfield must have had a set of pipes to deliver that far to those kinds of crowds. He heard the gospel. Benjamin Franklin heard the gospel. No record necessarily that he ever responded to it, but he was sympathetic to it, and he was a major part of the framing of this Declaration of Independence. 
the framers of the Declaration of Independence believed that God, the God of nations, had the capacity to intervene in the lives of nations. That he would, as we would put it, come out of heaven at times and intervene in the affairs of men and women and nations. So much so was that true that in the first paragraph, early paragraph or so of the Declaration of Independence, we find these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they have been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. On toward the end, one of the last paragraphs in the Declaration says this, and for the support of this Declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, their name for God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with the firm reliance, we might say, on the intervention of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Shortly after that, there was formed on the direction of George Washington a ragtag army of farmers, merchants, ordinary people, many of whom had never wielded a sword or fired around at a human. They formed an army, and that army was to go against the most powerful army on the face of the earth at that time, the British Army. In the minds of these men, they didn't have a chance unless God intervened on their behalf. Regardless of how there seemed to be an emergence of secular historians who were attempting to rewrite history in their own preference. The early men and women forming this nation from the ground up had no doubt but that there would never be a United States of America unless the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came out of heaven and fought for them. That's the truth. That's the documented truth in the primary source material of letters, diary entries, recorded conversations. The birth of the nation, the start of the nation, this nation only could have happened because of an intervention from God. Fast forward less than 100 years in this nation. There was, at least in the mind of Abraham Lincoln, an intervention of God into the affairs of the United States of America. But this time it was not freedom from England. 
This time it was freedom from slavery. This time it was not the blessed intervention of God to form a new nation. This time it was the rebuke of the God of heaven. It was in a very real sense the judgment of the God of heaven of what some have called America's primary sin, original sin, which was slavery. There came a point in time when the God in heaven had had it, had looked down on the cruelty, the wrongness of one human bringing another human into slavery, into subjection. There came a point in time when according to Mr. Lincoln and others looking at the God lifted his protection, lifted the sense of peace between the peoples. And over 500 million Americans killed each other. 500 million Americans killed each other in order for enslaved brothers and sisters to be set free. I want to read to you, if I could, these words from Mr. Lincoln's own pen. He did most of the writing of his own speeches and statements. This, this was a petition to the nation of a call to prayer in the height of the Civil War. He writes, Whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow. This is the President of the United States of America writing these words. To confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. And to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by His divine law, nations, like individuals, are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world. May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand 
which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. I want you to find Psalm number two in your Bible, please. In the minds of the framers of the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, in the mind and heart of Abraham Lincoln and men like him, this section of Scripture would rise above many others in terms of giving direction as to how we are to as humans, as men, as Americans, women, children, all of us, how we are to conduct ourselves before the God who has created us. Who he is, what he can do, where is his heart? Chapter 2, Psalm 2, verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what the kings and the rulers say as they conspire against the Lord and against his Christ. Let us tear their fetters apart. Let us rip apart the restraints that the Lord and his anointed have put upon us. We don't want to be told what not to do anymore. Let us cast away their cords from us. His word. His written word, let us cast away his instructions as well as his promises. But look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Laughs at who? Laughs at the kings and the rulers who were saying, we've had enough of you, God. We've had enough of your instruction. We've had enough of your Bible. We're not going to live by that anymore. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth, 
worship the Lord, instead of defy the Lord, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, do homage to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled, but how blessed are all who take refuge in him. I want you to find your way all the way over to the last book in your Bible, the book of the Revelation. Back again at verse 8 of Psalm number 2, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. In John's vision and the book of the Revelation, he sees heaven out in the future and he, and he sees all those who were there. Verse 9, this is Revelation 7, verse 9. After these things I looked... And behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Speaks of the fulfillment of the prophecy in Psalm number 2. That men and women from every tongue and tribe and people and nation on the face of the earth, in spite of what their kings say, in spite of what their rulers say, the word of the Lord stands forever. Let every man be found a liar, but God be found true. There's one other spot in the Revelation I want you to go with me to. It's Revelation chapter 19. Verse 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. This is the exalted Jesus. This is the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. One day, maybe not so far from now, we just don't know, but it sure seems as if As the old song says, the signs of the times are ringing louder and louder. The closer his appearing seems to be. He sat upon, the one who sat upon it is called faithful and true, names for Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems, many crowns, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, 
clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads upon the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The framers of our Constitution, the ones who wrote the Declaration of Independence, one of the greatest presidents that we've ever had, an extremely pivotal and difficult time in the life of our history, knew this God described in their Bible just as it is described in our Bible. They knew him as one who will, who does, who can be counted on to intervene in the lives of nations. One of the greatest concerns that Mr. Lincoln had and others is that the the great concern that, yes, the Lord is loving, yes, the Lord is merciful, yes, the Lord is all-powerful, we dare not offend him. We dare not offend him. We speak much around here and often about the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's as it should be. He heals. You remember the song. He heals because he loves. He intervenes because he loves. He intervened in the life of our birth as a nation because he was loving the future, the desire of the ones who were the earliest ones here in the colonies that we want this to be a nation, a place that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. They, 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 were, they were not shy about that. We declare this. We put this stake in the ground, the sand at the beach in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not God in general. It was not Islamics. It, it, it was not Buddhists. Check the history. It was Christians who did what they did out of an affection for and a loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And from there, leaders emerged. And from there, a nation's fabric was framed. And from there, the assessment of what has happened, what is going on in our nation, the civil war, what has happened. And they went to the word Somehow there was that recognition that we have offended a loving and merciful God. And in our arrogance of just seeing one color, our arrogance of seeing just what will make us money, we have offended him by the enslaving of other brothers and sisters of the human race. And God rose up to set captives free. How how did he do it? He allowed there to be such levels of animosity, wanting to protect and keep a, a way of making money, using people to make money to build empires. He allowed, he allowed that to 
devolve into, develop into a place where there actually were lives lost and bloodshed. You see, God is the God who can establish peace and keep peace even with people who don't necessarily know him or honor him, but it is his plan for the sake of others who do, for the sake of helpless in other settings, for them to be able to protect them by causing folks to get along. But there comes a point in time, and it's spoken of by Paul in, in the book to the, of one of the letters to the Thessalonians, that there will come a time when the Lord will take peace from the earth in order for the rest of his plan for his return to this earth ultimately be fulfilled. So what is it that can cause the Lord to intervene in the affairs of nations? Mercy, yes. Mercy, mercy the greatest of all. But when he expresses his passion for mercy, the ones who are on the wrong side of mercy can find him to be a dread champion. I want you to find, if you would please, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 19. Jeremiah chapter 19. The prophet Jeremiah is given an instruction. Chapter 19, verse 1, thus says the Lord, go and buy a potter's earthenware jar and take some of the elders and the people and some of the senior priests, verse 3, and say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to bring a calamity upon this place at which the ears of everyone that hear it will tingle because they have forsaken me and have made this an alien place, a foreign, a strange place, and have burned sacrifice in it to other gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known and because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. With the blood of the innocent. Filled this place with the blood of the innocent. And have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire. As burnt offerings to Baal. A thing which I never commanded or spoke of nor did it ever enter my mind. Verse 7, And I shall make void the counsel of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I shall cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. Why? For what reason? Because they have forsaken me and have made this an alien place have burned sacrifices in it to other gods that neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah have ever known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, 
Solomon writes, there are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. I came across something recently that I have not been able to get past. And it is the reason behind this message this morning. And I'm way more concerned about the Lord hearing this than that everybody, all the people who hear it say, oh, what a great message. The amen doesn't need to come from people. But I pray that there would be a sense of God's heart saying, that is my heart. Because he ultimately is the only one we have to answer to. As a father, as a mother, as a businessman, as a person, whoever, it's before him that we stand. Using new emails uncovered by Judicial Watch, their Freedom of Information Act, Freedom of Information Act request, the Federalist reports in these words, quote, in what should have been a national headline, the exposure of the U.S. government's involvement in trafficking aborted baby body parts is now more noteworthy following Friday's announcement from the White House. At President Biden's direction, the Department of Health and Human Services reversed the previous administration's policy protecting unborn Americans from the callous dehumanization of organ harvesting and further desecration of their bodies in research disguised as science. The decision now gives license to our government researchers and agencies to use the skin, brain, and eyeballs of children in research that affects all of us and is funded by our tax dollars. A few of the facts exposed in this document that the government was not going to let out, it only came out because it was forced to get it out by a Freedom of Information Act request. The FDA paid $2,000 per baby, aborted baby. The FDA bought the organs of aborted babies. The FDA required, quote, fresh, never frozen babies. And then the FDA requested late-term babies up to 24 weeks old. At 16 weeks, the baby in the womb has a heart that's pumping 25 quarts of blood every day. At week 17, the baby can have dreams. 
REM sleep. Week 19, babies can routinely be saved at 21 to 22 weeks and sometimes longer, younger, sometimes younger. But then at week 20, that baby recognizes its mother's voice and is capable of feeling pain. The FDA requested late-term babies up to 24 weeks old. It was said of Manasseh, one of the kings of Israel, one of the last of the kings of Israel before destruction came to Israel, that he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. Since Roe versus Wade in the 70s, CDC statistics and the Guttmacher Institute statistics, along with other informative groups, have tabulated that 62 million babies have been killed. 62 million. The state of Texas in the last census reported 29 million living in the state of Texas. With the deaths since Roe versus Wade, Texas could have been repopulated twice. San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Dallas-Fort Worth, Amarillo, El Paso, McAllen, Corpus Christi. All those lives, all those numbers of lives. So what are we to do? So what are we to do? I I say this, I speak these words to you, give you this information And even as I say them, my heart is just stunned. We could could try to lay all the blame on the politicians. Well, why did Biden sign it? Or why did Bill Clinton sign? Or why did Barack Obama sign? Because Joe Biden is not the first president to to authorize with executive orders these kinds of things. It's, it's, It's gone further with these executive orders But none of the presidents, none of the leaders in Congress have aborted a baby, as far as we know. There is is no forced abortion in the United States where the government is saying to a woman, as in China, you can only have one child, no more than two, and and you abort the the extra one, the extra pregnancy, you end it. That's not going on. So what has gone on? The problem is not primarily Washington. It's not contributing. Bad laws are bad laws. The government is supposed to protect the people from from its own people sometimes. 
That's why laws against murder and robbery and so forth is to protect the innocent from the guilty. And when these most innocent of Americans have had their protection completely voided, it is a horrific thing. But the challenge or the issue is not even with a doctor who performs an abortion. He performs an abortion because the mother and or the father of that child to be aborted has chosen to abort the child. Bad laws can die for a lack of a second if there is no violation of the law. If, 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 if things so changed within the hearts of the American conscience that whether you're inside or outside the womb, you still are created in the image of God. You deserve a right to live. You deserve a right to breathe. You deserve a right to be protected. Yes, we need to vote according to God's standards and not just according to the style of a man or a woman. As God's people to choose according to his standards. But oh, folks, we have never been in as as great a need for an outpouring of the Spirit of God to bring revival to America as we are right now. The Lord will not remain silent. The Lord will not remain out of the affairs of this nation. And I don't mean just in the sense of blessing. He has blessed us, as Lincoln said, blessed like no other nation on the face of the earth. But when there is systematic putting to death of the most innocent in our nation, it's not a matter of if. It's only a matter of when God will say, stop it. You know, there were, during the Civil War, you read, you read accounts and treatments from various sides of the issue of slavery. And at some points, it was as if it was so much a part of the fabric of the South, so much of a part of the way that Americans would just think North free, South pro-slavery, that it was as if this can't ever be changed. It's so ingrained. Don't you say that to God. God, it's so bad. It's so far. It's so pervasive. It's just the way we are. The Lord has the capacity, the one who with his word holds everything together. That's why it's time for there to be a recovery of the fear of the Lord. We love him in his mercy. We rejoice in his abundance. We glory in his pleasure. But he has the ability to rise to the defense of ones who cannot defend for themselves. It was the love of God working to set captive slaves free 
that drove what, uh, what, what was allowed, what happened, what don't, darkness, difficulty, great sorrow, great loss of life. But when the Lord determined it was time, it had to be rooted out. This far and no further, he has the capacity to accomplish it. I speak this to you, and I realize some will say, Where, why are you getting off on all that, preacher? I know that multitudes in this nation are not necessarily stirred up about abortion. It's become so regular, so normal, no big deal. When before God, there's not one child that is unimportant or has been forgotten. Paul said, to the Corinthians, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. There are many, 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 many women and men connected with those ladies as, as a boyfriend, a, a husband or a wife, whatever. But in, in the days before you came to know Jesus, but have been a part of the Alamo City family, and abortion has been in your past. An abortion is not the unforgivable, the unpardonable sin. It's not. Christ died on the cross to pay for the sin of the killing of the unborn. But when you're told, when you're told it, it's not a person, it's just a wad of cells. There's no feeling, there's no, it, 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 it's, it's, it's no big deal. Just, just deal with it. You, you're fine. It's not a person. It's not a person. It's not a person. It's not a person. Then you, find, then you find these words in this Bible that you came, to, you came to know and have grown to love, and you find these words in Psalm 139, For thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. Weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, thine eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. The prophet Jeremiah will say that he was called as a prophet from his mother's womb. John the Baptist, still in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, walked into the, into the, the same room with Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus, earthly mother of Jesus, and it says... It says that he's, he started kicking in the filling of the Spirit, with the filling of the Spirit when he got in the presence of his cousin. that hadn't been born yet. You're going to have to decide, folks, whose side you're on. Joshua would say, you choose this day who you're going to serve, who you're going to follow. You go with the gods of the world around you. You go with the secular opinions. But as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. Yeah. 
It's either true or it's not true. Jesus didn't, the, 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 the commandments, the Ten Commandments were not, were not given just to make life miserable. They were given in order for society to function without self-destructing. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not take an innocent life. You know, we, 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 have, we have these justifiably horrible feelings with regard to how in the world could the Nazis do what they did to six million Jews? How could they strip parents from children and send the children to separate camps? Joseph Mengala, the angel of death, the doctor at Auschwitz, specialized in using children for his experiments. It, it, it's beyond anything human what that monster of a man called a doctor did to children while they were alive. After the experiments had been performed, many of them were put summarily to death only to have their bodies, their body parts, sent off to other laboratories for further examination. All in the name of science. So what's the difference? What's the difference? When aborted baby body parts are separated out, sold on the market, and we're supposed to be, oh, that's science. Straight out of hell. So what are we to do? I'll give you two or three things. Now somewhere, in, somewhere in here, we're going to get to hope. All right, so just stay with me. Everybody. We're going to get to hope. 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive their sin, hear their prayer, and heal their land. When we step into the place as God's own children and we agree with him on this earth, Lord, what you've said about babies in the womb is absolutely true and we confess the sins of our nation. We confess the sins of our leaders in making laws that promote the murder of innocent children. We confess the sins of ones who have chosen. And, and some who would be praying would say, that was me. I was there. I did that. But the mercy of the Lord met me there. The mercy of the Lord changed your heart and you, you, you saw what the truth from God's standpoint really is and you've received his forgiveness. And one day you look forward to, when you, get, when you pass through that glory gate and there's Jesus welcoming you into heaven 
Who do you reckon may be there right next to him? Someone whom you at the time, you didn't, you didn't. Jesus would say again from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't fully see it. They don't fully understand. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Paul would write about the Jewish leaders in, in, in speaking of rulers. He said, we speak the wisdom. That this, is, this is the verse. We, we speak God's wisdom. The wisdom which the rulers of this age do not understand. For if they had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul is even saying there that the Jewish leaders did what they did believing the lie that this Jesus of Nazareth was a heretic. And Moses would require them to, to dispatch him even though the one who was staying there before them was the one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. It was Jesus, but they didn't get it. There's mercy with the Lord. It doesn't mean that we're not guilty of what we did, but it does mean that we find mercy in the Lord. So it's high time for there to be a declaration, Lord, I don't agree. I disavow any connection with. I reject and renounce that these are not humans that this is not innocent blood that has been shed. I confess the sin of the shedding of innocent blood in the United States of America. I confess it as sin. I call it what it is. I call it what you call it. I want to show you one other thing, just, just, just for your own good. Can I show you one other verse, one other passage in the gospel of, not the gospel, but the book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. Please know this is in your Bible. Please know this is one of the ways in which God works. When, there's, when there is discipline that needs to come, there's correction that needs to come, one of the prophets would say, Lord, in the middle of your wrath, remember mercy. In the midst of your wrath, remember mercy. This is verse 16, Malachi 3. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. And then the Lord says, and they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. The Lord has the capacity to know exactly who those are who are on his side. He hears our cries. He knows our thoughts not only does he have the capacity to know who the ones are on his side, lining up with him, saying, Lord, your word is true, but he has the ability to spare them, to spare them when there may be judgment going on around and retribution going on around. He knows how to spare 
those whose hearts were completely hid. Lord, may it be. So what do we do? We confess. We confess the sins. We renounce any connection. We declare that God's way is right. And we begin to pray, oh Lord, rise to the defense of this innocent blood. Rise to the defense of this innocent blood. I find it fascinating. And I want you to go to Acts 2. We're going to stop here. We'll finish with this. Why don't you go, go, to, go to Acts, excuse me, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Psalm number 2 is repeated in the apostles' prayer meeting after Peter and John had been released from their interrogation by the high priest. They were threatened, stopped speaking in the name of Jesus. And the bold declaration of Peter, we cannot stop speaking what we both have and heard. We can't. What we've, what we've seen and heard. We can't stop. We can't stop. We can't stop. We have to keep speaking. Then they quote in, starting in verse 25, this is, this is their prayer. Who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, a servant did say, why did the Gentiles rage? This is Psalm 2. And the peoples devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against the whole, thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord... Take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence while thou dost extend thy hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again filled again with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. One of the things that's so fascinating about this is that no high priest had been converted. The, 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 the Roman governor, procurator, had, had not said, oh, now I'm a believer in Jesus. Rome was still dictating its evil in various places. Nothing had changed, but Jesus had said to the men, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In light of the authority that I have been given, you go out and make disciples. You go tell people about me. You preach the cross. You preach the empty tomb. You preach the promise of my spirit coming to fill them. Even though no changes in the houses of government, nobody is any different, I still have all authority. And I'm sending you forth in my name, with my power, with my truth, and the rulers of this world cannot shut you down because I have all authority. What is the church supposed to do? Are we supposed to wait till Washington gets their act together? 
Are we supposed to wait till all of the abortion clinics dry up? Because they, no one, it would be great if those things happened. But folks, even if they don't, Jesus is still knocking on the doors of hearts. Jesus is still seeking to save the lost. He's still calling Zacchaeus down, the epitome of the worst of the worst. Come down here, Zacchaeus. I'm going to your house for supper tonight. Because he loved him. It's his business, vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But what are you and I to do? Lord, fill me with your spirit. And in this place where you've given me the opportunity to share your love and your light, I'm asking you, folks, here it is. I'm asking you to pour out your power with signs and wonders and cause the words that I speak to be effective in setting captives free. There wasn't any way that those Sanhedrin rulers could stop the power of Jesus from healing the sick, raising up the blind, bringing the dead forth. And, and the, everything they tried to do, telling people, don't, don't listen anymore about Jesus. That, that's crazy. You come back to where you're supposed to be. But it was the power of God, the power and the freedom and the life and the joy of the living Jesus that just attracted the multitudes like a magnet. And the Sanhedrin hadn't gotten their act together. The Romans were still saying, you carry my, you take my pack and you tote it until I tell you to lay it down. None of that had changed. But what was different was that Jesus Christ alive in his people was doing the miraculous, doing the amazing. If we spend all our time praying for Washington to change, Washington to change, praying for all our time to things related to the abortion issue to, to get corrected. What happens is the bad law, low rules of wage, can stay in place till, till Jesus comes again. But if the hearts that have made the choice to take that baby to an abortion clinic, when the hearts have changed, there are no customers. Nobody goes. The rules, the laws, the executive orders are of no effect because they don't apply anymore. I love that story coming out of those stories that come out of the Welsh Revival, 1904 and 1905, that the policemen, there were so many people that got right in that nation, and, and, the, and there were so many people coming to church and all the, you know, the, the two things, the, the, the mules that were pulling the coal out of the coal mines in Wales completely got disoriented because the language of the coal miners changed. Come here, you beautiful little beast. Come here, you beast. Instead of all the other blue air stuff, you can do this. You can, I don't know how they did it, but they had to go get a whole new set of mules and teach them a new language. There wasn't a thou shalt quit cussing at the mule. Nobody said that. It was an inside change. The policemen lost their jobs. They turned into gospel quartets. And they'd move around from church house to church house, uniforms on. Everybody knew there were police. What are you doing here? Well, there's nobody to arrest. And nobody to throw in jail. Nobody drunk and wilding in the mire on the side of the road that we got to carry somewhere. So we're here just to, just to sing. 
<laughs> Listen, the Lord can change Washington. The Lord can change all things that we've discussed about in, in as far as the structure of it. But he's bigger than that. He's greater than that. He can do in the hearts of people what nobody else can do. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the cross. That's where he died so that we could live. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You just love me with all your heart. You bear my witness to the nation. I'll take care of the rest. Amen? Now here's, here's, how, here's how I want to ask that we conclude this time together this morning. I, I want to ask you to consider where this has spoken to your heart and you want to go on record before the Lord that God, I'm, I'm on your side. I'm, I choose you. I renounce agreement with the culture. I announce agreement with so-called science. I renounce agreement with all those other things and I choose what you say in your word to be my truth. I'm going to invite you to get up from where you are in this room and come down here, get on your knees, lean over on one of these pews down here as an expression of humbling ourselves before the Lord, confessing the sins of our nation, and asking the Lord to intervene according to all that's in his heart to do. I want to ask you to do that to take a step, a visible, specific step out, get on my knees and ask the Lord for mercy, but to confess the sins, to confess the sins, believing that he will, in his way, bring his mercy and bring his pardon. You know, I find myself, we, we, we live not too far from a Planned Parenthood location. I walk by there, but I walk by there to pray. If there's hatred, if there's venom rising up in our hearts about these involved in these things, then that's not the heart of Jesus. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You know what repent means? It's two parts of the verb. The verb is to know. The preposition after, meta, after, to know after. I know some things now that I didn't know then. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is saying the things that you're going to see in me and my relationship with you and my drawing you to me that's going to cause you to realize things that you believe, things that you thought, choices that you made before were wrong, were not right. That's what repent is. I renounce that. I reject that. And I receive you, Jesus, in your heart and your life and what is right in your sight. Those of you at home, would you do this as you're led to? Just... Get on your knees by the side of your chair. Lord, I confess the sin. I confess the sin of my nation, the sins of my nation. I confess my own sins, Lord, and I seek your forgiveness, your mercy. And then, Lord, I pray. 
pray that you'll pour out your spirit on this land. Pour out your spirit in a great revival like we've seen before. Lord, do it again, do it again, do it again. We won't make it, Lord, without you intervening in the life of our nation. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Please, please hear humble cries. Please hear repentant cries, confessing cries as we bring our hearts to you and we bless you for your mercy and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Monica's going to come and Josh and we'll sing. They'll be leading us in a a song together. You just stay right here. You don't have to go anywhere unless you want to. If you're done, you go. But let's just spend these few moments in his presence. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.